Welcome back to the Joe Cozo Show. Today's guest is someone that I've known and who's helped out here on the show. His name is JT Tierney. He was the one who put in all the lights, helped out with the desk, the mics, the you know the behind-the-scenes stuff. He's a fascinating individual. I love this guy, but he has a, a heart-wrenching story. When I, and I think that when you when you listen to it, when you see him, you're going to absolutely, though, fall in love with this guy. You're going to be rooting for this guy because the story, it's crazy. I'm not going to lie. It's actually crazy. Uh, the addiction that he went through and how he rose up and you know became the man he is today. So without further ado, I would love to introduce to you now, JT Tierney. All right, welcome back to the Joe Cozo Show. We have lots to talk about. I got something going. I got something cooking here. This is the big leagues. It's New York. I said I was in the worst neighborhood, man. I said I had a near-death experience. Crazy? Robert, if you've been through what I've been through in the past month, you'd be, you'd be crazy too. All right. JT. Hey, what's going on, JT Mr. Cozo? Tierney. Yes. So full disclosure. Mm-hmm. I'm high as a kite. <laughs> Full disclosure, you helped build this studio. Yes. Right? You helped build, and, and we met. And, then, you know, if you want maybe to explain it, how we met and everything, because you're the one who it was, you met Red first. Yeah, it was, uh, we met thanks to Facebook Marketplace. Uh, a buddy of mine and I were looking to try to build a studio, and I was looking into some soundproofing, and you guys were getting rid of some at your old home studio. Yes. So I came to pick it up, and we, we got to chatting, and then you were talking about how you wanted to build, you know, a, a better studio, and that's and, it, and how it, it all started. That's how it all started, and that's how, because of you... How we met Eric. Yes. Well, how I met Eric, and if it wasn't for that, Eric wouldn't be here either. You know, yeah, those... I, I met him same way, Facebook same way. Marketplace. <laughs> I was looking for a headphone amplifier. He was selling one. We got the chat, and I was like, oh, by the way, I know this guy. We're, we're, we're going to start putting stuff, stuff together, and he's a videographer and knows about lighting. So, yeah, it like, hey. worked out perfect. That's yeah. exactly Facebook Marketplace. And I would have, you know, <laughs> just, just talking about Facebook Marketplace for a second, I don't see how they don't capitalize on that. Like, you know, money-wise. Or do they? Do you, do you think that they do? I, I don't know. I don't think they take a portion out. They don't, right? No, I don't believe so. I, it's, it's unbelievable how many people are on Facebook Marketplace. My girlfriend, Red, is on there all the time selling rugs, selling furniture, mm -hmm. selling things that she has. $10. I'm like, I don't want to meet anybody for $10. <laughs> I don't want to have to talk to somebody new for $10 at all. Like, yesterday we had to, she sold this rug. Mm-hmm. So she lists it for like 120. Now she's down to $90. Like the guy's trying to negotiate. <laughs> and he's like, I, I, I'll do it for, you know, 70. Mm. She's like, I, just, I said, no, don't just say no. It's, it's not even worth it. Like, you know what I mean? Bought the rug for 200 and something dollars. Mm. It's not even worth it. So let's see if other people come on. Long story short, he comes. They negotiated a price. So he has, it's, it's for $85. He only has a $100 bill. So he gives me the hundred. Now I'm not a cash register. Like this is, a, I'm in a Venmo guy now. I don't have cash on me. I, I have, I have plastic. I have cash somewhere else. Yeah. And I have just Venmo, you know, Zelle and and whatnot. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't got change for a hundred dollars. It's eighty five dollars. I don't know. What do you want me to do? He goes. He goes. Uh, all right. Well, well. So let me see. He grabs the carpet and puts it into his car. So he comes back out. He goes, "Yeah, give me back the hundred, and I'll give you." I said, "No, no, no, the hundred's not leaving me. You got the car, the carpet now is in your in your car." But he then got like, "Hey, you know what are you trying to say? I'm uh, 
He's like, I, I'm not trying to do anything here. And it just got weird. And this is exactly uh, why I don't want to meet anybody for $10 yeah. at all, yeah. let alone 85 <laughs> my point. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so people that don't know who you are, Give us, you know, where are you from? You know, what you're, what, what you're all about. Well, where I'm from is is a difficult story because I'm from all over the place. Uh, I was born Elmhurst, Queens, so I'm New York through and through. Um, and then uh, I've lived everywhere from Jackson Heights, uh, all over Queens. Uh, and then, funny story, at one point, my grandmother adopted me, and then uh, we were living upstate New York in this town called Nickelville. And nobody oh. knows about it. Even the general store, we had T-shirts that said, where in the hell is Nickelville? With a, a, a picture of New York State with this tiny little dot. <laughs> so hold on, let's back up there. Yeah. Why did your grandmother adopt you? Ah, well, funny story. Um, uh, addiction runs in my family pretty hard. It uh, definitely, uh, my mother had uh, a lot of uh, issues um, when uh, when I was born. She was uh, addicted to drugs, all that kind of stuff. So she was doing drugs. Yeah. While you were in the womb. Oh yeah, absolutely. And what was I, her, what was her choice? Uh, I think. Uh, Coke, heroin, all kinds of stuff, you know, drinking. She said that actually the only thing she couldn't do was drink when she was pregnant with me, which then that became my biggest problem, funny enough. I have a question, though. Hold yeah. on a second. Do you have resentment towards your mother because she was doing that while you here you are, you're starting out in the world, and you start out in the world of being, you know, coked out of your face? You've done more coke at that time <laughs> at a you know infant a day old mm -hmm. than um, you know a majority of people across the world yeah uh i did hold resentments for a long time but uh funny enough she's come around full circle my mom t at this day is like my biggest inspiration in life because uh you know after she lost me i was about three years old that's one of my first memories was the day the state came and took me and then uh she didn't get her shit together Another three years later, my brother was born, and he didn't even get to go home from the hospital with her. You know, she already had an open CPS case, so they took him and immediately put him into foster care. So then she's sitting in Rikers not too long after going, what the fuck am I doing with my life? And after she got out, she got herself into a program. She did a very intensive uh, inpatient program until she won custody of us back and now I would, I would love to have your mother come on the show oh, she's amazing. I want to know about the Rikers oh uh, yeah exactly <laughs> I, that, that's a, that's an episode in with itself yeah because that's a fucked up place <laughs> so you said though that she's now your biggest inspiration you had resentment you didn't give mm -hmm. me the day if you could remember hmm. where that switched it went from resentment to wait a second here I'm gonna this is my mother and I feel differently than I did when I was an adolescent. Well, it's the first time because we had a we had a tumultuous uh, history, obviously. So uh, after we, we, she got us back, she started going to school. She was <laughs> working at the rehab she got out of. She started going to school, and then after years and years of doing both and raising us. She graduated with her master's in social work from Fordham University. And seeing her get that diploma, I was like, oh my God, you know, from where she came from to where she, she got to was amazing. Was but, there a lot of times in between there that you're saying to yourself, oh, this girl's gonna fail. Yeah. She's not gonna do it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because I'm sure there was other times in your life that you thought that mm -hmm. things would be different and they were never different. Yeah. Now, when she was taken from you, or mm -hmm. well, you were taken yeah. away from her, and you're living with your grandmother. Did you see her often? Oh, no, no. She had no no rights to see me for a long time, not until she was in the program. And uh, a couple of times she was able to come up and see me or, or um, uh, towards the end of her run when I was like, I don't know, nine-ish. Uh, I got to go come down here and actually spend a weekend with her at, at, at the uh, the house that she was at. You know, the it was Apple back then. Okay, so another th question that I have for you is when you would have those times of going and seeing her for a couple of, you know, whatever it was, like a visit, mm -hmm. 
How was that feeling? Like, take me to JT <laughs> in his mind, and he's driving to go see his mother. Like, uh, what was going through your mind? The most anxious butterflies you can imagine, and just so excited because, like, I, I didn't get to see mom. I didn't get to talk to her. And the fact that I was going to go see her, it was like a kid going to Disney World. So we don't have any resentment at this time. No, no. This I is still... all kid. Yeah. My mom was stolen from me, basically. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get to go see her. Yeah. And it was amazing. So when, when those weekends were over, though, they had to pull me off of her, you know. It was oh, just really? And crying for hours on the way back home, you know, taking the Greyhound back up. So there was so then there was times that... in the younger age that mm -hmm. you were like you know it's my mother like, yeah I see her. what the hell's going on mm -hmm. but then when did it start that start to fade uh when she got me back i was around in between 10 and 11 and then it was it was great but then you know she was working all the time she started going to school because she wanted to do better for her and i was too young to understand that she was trying to do the best to better herself for us but like i'm back home with mom but again it's like i'm never seeing her she's she's gone so it felt just the same like I, that i had all those abandonment issues and so it took me a long time to realize that she was doing the best that she could because she was so far behind in life she had a lot of catch up to do you know when did they have a conversation about with you know why she was taken away from you like was that at a young age oh yeah it was but did you fully understand it at that no, age no didn't understand it at all and uh, it wasn't until you know in my teenage years you know my mom was getting worried that I was gonna start you know going down that road you know everybody's starting to drink and smoke in that like 13 to 14 year old age and she was like you know why I was taken from you right I just want to let you know you know addiction runs in the family uh, my biological father you know he had drug issues and stuff like that and uh, so that's when I started to understand why everything was you know how it was at the at, uh, you know in my early days so so when though did it start like you say, hey, listen, I don't want to be with my mother anymore because it seems to me, mm -hmm. right, that she she had a plan in jail, probably, I would assume. Mm -hmm. And when she got out, was that the last time? Yeah. So she, she said, hey, listen, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to get my kids back. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't even do that. Yeah. She, she made it a point to get the kids back. Mm -hmm. So then what made it all of a sudden you start resenting her? Uh, like I said, it, with, you get those rebellious teenage years and it's like, you know, again, I'm not seeing mom and, and all that stuff. And she was so scared of us fucking up the ways that she did. So she was a bit strict, you know, and then I, we had my stepdad, my brother's biological father, and they both had drug issues. They both got clean and they were just they were so worried about us going down the same road that they were they were really strict like no spending time out you know past dark all that kind of stuff getting to see all my friends go to parties and like oh no you're not going here and there and then um when i was uh, 18 and I, I first got into college i was working two jobs i'm going to college i'm doing the best that i can but my grades were slipping because I was burning myself out. And then, you know, my parents are arguing over, like, you, you got to slow down. You got to do this and that. And I'm like, well, this is what you do. You work. You do all this stuff. I'm trying to do right. And now you're giving – I can't do anything right by you people. And then I moved out. You and know? then you moved out, and that was the end of it. Yeah. Probably heartbreaking for your mother. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She she was a wreck. But And then I made it worse. I didn't talk to her for about two, two and a half years. I, w I wouldn't really? even talk to her. Yeah. So you said – earlier that you have abandonment issues oh yeah <laughs> so so give us an example of what 
you mean by that? You know, and, and, and actually in your life that you feel because of the abandonment, you acted a certain way. Well, because of that, uh, I, I, I fell into the uh, the yes man kind of thing. Like, I just, I wanted everybody to love me. I would do stuff that I, I were against my principles, especially like when I first started getting into drugs. I was so scared of doing drugs because of all the stories. But all my, my friends that I was hanging out with, they all, you know, were smoking pot, doing blow and all that stuff, uh, taking acid. And I just wanted to be loved by a crew so bad that I, I started using just, you know, because I wanted to be, be loved. And, um, and then I fell in love with the drugs because it was like I had all this inner pain and confusion and all that stuff. And the drugs took that all away. I didn't have to think about anything. Let's, and, let, let, let's talk about that. Let's, let's um, get into the, the drug use, mm -hmm. right? So here you are, you, you know, you, your mom's having this conversation, which a lot of parents don't even have with their kids, and they're yeah. not addicts. Mm -hmm. So you have this with their, and you saw what happened, but yet you're still with these friends that are doing it. Give us the first time that you actually experimented in drugs and how old you were. Uh, I was, I believe, 15, and I had some older friends, and they smoked weed, and there was this laser tag place around the block from, uh, from my, my house I grew up in in, uh, in Shirley. And um, they were hurting for money, so they started doing these things in the summer called the lockdowns. For like 20 bucks, you get to stay there all night, free laser tag all night. They got you pizza and then Dunkin' Donuts in the morning. So I'm out with my friends. And That's they, a great night. Oh, yeah, it was That's fantastic. You a fantastic night. And especially back then, it was one week's allowance. Bam, we were Hell having yeah. a great night. And um, but then uh, hanging out with my friends, they had the van and they're smoking up and they're like, guess what? Tonight is the night. You're getting high. I'm like, I, can, I, I can't. I can't do that. And they're like, you're going to be here all night. You're going to be fine by the time you go, you know, home in the morning. So I was like, all right, screw it. I just I want to be accepted so bad. And we were smoking all night. And then we're playing laser tag. I'm running into walls. I almost broke my nose. Oh, you're trash. Oh, I was trashed. <laughs> but now. So in your mind, you think that the abandonment mm -hmm. led you to be this type of personality that just wants to be accepted. Absolutely. Because you can't sit there and actually have to go through another breakup, mm -hmm. another abandonment. Exactly. These friends thinking they don't like you for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, I can see as at that age, what you're thinking is then nobody's gonna like me. Yeah. Then there's something wrong with me, mm -hmm. kind of. You know, it, it could creep up on you. So. What happened now after the pot? How did you start getting into some hardcore drugs? It was just, you know, I'm just going to do pot. Oh, uh, people that do, you know, crack or, or, or acid, all these harder drugs, like, uh, no, those people are losers. But then the more I was in the scene and hanging out with people and somebody's like, oh, you know, we want to go do some acid. Uh, all right, yeah, I'll give it a shot because, again, I just wanted to be a part of the crowd. And then there was a girl that I was dating who was, who was amazing, but she liked to, to experiment. But the difference between us is, like, her, her her younger years, she liked to experiment, do her thing, but then it was like, okay, that night's over. Now it's time to get back to work, do that. I I never had that shut off switch, you know. But well, wait, so so that that you know, that's crazy that you never had that. But there's mm -hmm. you you build up to it though. Yeah. <laughs> right, because I don't I don't know. Was it the first time you took coke? Then you never stopped doing coke. Like yeah, you know? pretty much. That that was that was any drug. And then you know I was a bum for the longest time. It was just like as long as I got a, a couch to sleep on and I'm making enough money to grab a pack of cigarettes and, and and get a bag of pot and you know and a couple of beers, then I'm good. I had no ambition, no no direction or, or nothing, and that ruined a lot of relationships. What? Uh, how did it get to a point though that you were like? So you know, it's one thing to say you wake up smoke some weed or whatever and mm -hmm. go about your day 
I mean, there's another then when you're like, I'm gonna go buy Coke. I need Coke, and yeah. then then all of a sudden your body starts getting dependent. I know. Does is that what happens, or did you like upgrade it to heroin or crack? Like, yeah. What was it? Um, for the longest time, it was just because I was such a bum. It's just whatever I could afford. So a lot of times it was Steel Reserve and Mad Dog, all these cheap beers. Mad Dog 2020. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That Four was locos. so fucking dirty. Oh, so disgusting. Oh, it's so disgusting. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it was just out of necessity. It didn't matter what it was. I just needed to be fucked up. And then I, there'd be periods in my life where I was like, all right, let's get back to work. I, I, I I never have any money. I can't hang out with everybody. I, I, I need something. And then I'd start doing well and I'd get in, you know, into just a basic job but start getting money. And then when I'd have that big wad of cash in my pocket, it's like, oh, you know what? Tonight would be fun to get some pills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's try that now. Yeah. So you talked about uh, relationships that were ended because of it. Give mm -hmm. us, you know, take us through that. Well, uh, same thing with the abandonment is like, you know, I would get into relationships quick because I just want somebody is paying attention to me. Somebody loves me. I'm in love with you. Yeah. But then there was always like this this fear that you know this person's going to leave me. I'm not good enough, and I'd self sabotage and, and get into my own head. And then the minute that some other girl was giving me attention, instead of like, okay, you know what? Let me just be single and explore these things because this is the first time this has happened to me. I was a weird, nerdy, geeky kid. Never had any girls in high school. It wasn't until I became the cool college kid that you know all of a sudden girls are like oh you know girls that were seniors Who's and stuff JT? exactly so instead of just being single no i needed the girl on the side because i needed somebody to come home to but then i'd fuck around you know i'd, I'd cheat and it, it was it was terrible and oh you're a cheater oh it was it was bad but it was you know a lot of it was fueled because i was always drunk or high so i had no inhibitions and uh, whoever's paying attention to me and wants a t some of my my time i i had to jump into who am i to say no exactly who am i to say you know the person that thought that nobody would ever want to be with me now all of a sudden I got multiple people yeah. and I want to appease everybody exactly and part of appeasing everybody is if she wants to hook up with me I hook up with her exactly yeah that that that's that's some crazy stuff <laughs> the cheating bad. thing mm -hmm. is crazy in itself yeah because you're living multiple lives, mm -hmm. right? And then you're doing drugs on top of it. So you, <laughs> yeah. who knows? You probably were a sloppy mess. Oh, I was I, I was terrible. But I always had a, a happy demeanor and a good smile. So it was very deceiving. But on the inside, it was just constantly, you're a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit. You're terrible. You're never going to amount to nothing. So it just led me to making more you know, terrible decisions because lack of impulse control, lack of uh, I, total insecurity that I was just living day by day, whatever can make me happy in that moment. So is this period of time that you're doing this is your mother still in your life at first no and then uh, you know after failed relationships and and being completely broke and couch hopping it was time to come crawling back to mom and dad oh really so how was that give me that conversation uh, uh I, I think i had it with my mom because my dad's not that type of person you know he's, he's when you're he's saying old school. dad mm -hmm. you're saying stepdad yeah but it, when uh my mom got me back she she had been with him you know even uh probably around the time i was two so he's the one that raised my brother and I so I call him dad okay so let's let's take a brief second mm -hmm. and tell us who your real dad is and what happened uh, my real dad is Thomas Tierney. <laughs> That's where I get my last name from. Um, he was, uh, you know, I, I have a couple of uncles. But my grandma had a had a big family, but uh, he was uh, a musician in in the city in the eighties, and uh, he was also a truck driver. I think he did sanitation, all kinds of other stuff, and uh, he was a real fun guy with uh, drug addiction issues and uh, and uh, womanizing <laughs> issues. Sound familiar? <laughs> 
Look at the, look how you did that. Look Apparently, how you did. it was genetic. So uh, he had. Uh, I have an older half sister. She's ten years older than me. So he was married, had a kid, and that relationship obviously <laughs> in the end didn't work out too well. And um, when uh, my mom got pregnant with me, you know, she was like, by the way, Tommy, uh, you got another one. And he was just like, I, I can't. I, I, I just can't do it. And he, and he bailed. He, he bailed. He, he completely bailed, which was weird because they were living in, in, in a close neighborhood, too. Well, <laughs> so. so wait a second. What do you mean? So here he is. He has this new son. Mm -hmm. He says he can't do it. And how many miles apart are you guys? Uh, is, the, is your mother and him at that time? Probably not very far. They were they were both in Queens, somewhere around you know, Jackson Heights, uh, probably less. Yeah, probably <laughs> Between less five and ten, yeah. And... When was the last time you saw him as an you know as a child that, that your mother told you like uh, how old were you when he left well, he was never there. When she, she told him, you know, she just wanted him to know. She's like, I'm not looking for anything from you. I just want you to know, just just in case, you know, that you do want to be a part of his life, this is your son. And he was just like, I can't, I, you know, I can't do it. So What a I, piece of shit. He got the opportunity, someone saying, you don't have to pay child support. I don't want anything from you. I'm, just, I'm having this kid no matter what. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying, no, 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 no. I want to be a part of this kid's life. He did the complete opposite. It's a real piece of shit. Yeah, well, he had a lot of demons. He had, you know, a lot of demons. And I think uh, not too long after that, he was uh, diagnosed with brain cancer. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, he, he wasn't doing too well. And he had a lot of drug issues and womanizing issues, all that stuff. And again, the whole family that fell apart, you know, in his hands to begin with. So uh, when my grandmother first got me, we were living in an apartment in Jackson Heights, and apparently he came over a few times, but I knew him as Uncle Tommy, you know? Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Dead serious. Do you know how, how stupid and disgusting that is? That's crazy. Um, Uncle Tommy. That's my kid, and we're going to start calling him Uncle Tommy. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't get any... No. Any like emotionally attachment or any doesn't ask any nope. questions like you know that's my dad why isn't he here? Yep. Oh, wow. None of that. So then uh, after that it was like a little small like two story apartment like you know some of those old queens apartments and uh, the lady that owned it she was selling it so then I was living there with my grandmother my uncle Jimmy and his wife my aunt Lisa and my cousin Jameson were two days apart I'm two days older fuck you uh, <laughs> no I love my cousin and uh, so we all went our separate ways and my aunt. Anne had a, she lived in Massapequa, but had a, 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 a summer home or winter home in upstate New York in that town, Nickelville. It's a house from like the 1700s. So we went to go live up there. And every once in a while, we get a call from Uncle Tommy. And uh, I remember him. He had an eye patch because he lost an, an eye to the cancer. And around the time I was seven, uh, I, I, I believe he was, uh, he was on morphine for the pain from the chemo. You know, we're talking about 94, 95. Chemo wasn't that great back then. And uh, I think he shot up some morphine with it. I'm, I'm sorry, some heroin with the morphine, if I remember correctly. And then he, he OD'd and died. And so my one true memory of knowing him as my dad was at the wake, <laughs> at the uh, the open that's casket. When, that's when they finally told you, hey, listen, yeah. it's not really Uncle Tommy, this is your dad. Who, yeah. who had that conversation with you? Uh, my grandmother. Because I remember waking up and hearing her crying, you know, getting off the phone. And I asked her why she was crying. She was like, your, your dad just passed away. So then I'm in her arms crying. And then I had like, wait a second. Uh, I don't even know who I'm thinking about. Yeah, I don't I even like, have a I don't even have a picture in my head yeah, of like, who my dad is. So I asked her, who who is my dad? And she's like, who do you think your dad is? And I was like, Ray, who's my stepdad, because he was around when I was when I was still that young. Yeah. Uh, before I got taken away, and she's like, no, uh, Uncle Tommy was was your dad. Oh, <laughs> listen, I, I, that's terrible. It's a terrible way to find out because you now it's not even just that. Mm -hmm. It's also. 
Ray is not my real dad. Yeah. Who now I have a brother who that is his real dad and mm-hmm. it's not my real dad. Yeah. So that's even more of a detachment that mm-hmm. you know. And I, did, I didn't even know my brother yet. I still hadn't even met my brother or even knew that I had a brother yet. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck was going on? Yeah, we had a, a, a wacky. So so let's go to but, your drug use. Mm-hmm. Take us to the day that you could recall that was your worst day doing drugs. You did more drugs, did whatever it was than Ooh. ever before. Um, the first worst time where I was like, I, I, I got to do something about this and I quit for a little while was uh, we went to a party. I think it was like a 4th of July party. We get there a little late. Hold so. on. What, what year is this around? Uh, I'd say around 2006. Hmm. 2006 maybe so and, and you go into what kind of party a fourth of july party oh nice <laughs> yeah and uh we get there a little late everybody's already a little tipsy i'm like oh we got to play catch up so we're playing beer pong but with with shots so we're doing liquor pong and i'm just drinking left and right drinking left and right somebody had uh some oxys I'm like, yeah let me get some oxys you know throw out some cash get some oxys I was sick for three and a half days after that. I probably should have went to the hospital. I was I was probably close to death. <laughs> really? Yeah. So what did you think you did? How many shots and what kind of shot? Like what were they consisted of? Um, tequila, whiskey, rum, and vodka. So how many shots do you think you did that one day? If we were to put it into liter bottles, I must have drank a liter and a half in probably the span of 40 minutes. Jesus fuck. Yeah. And then took about three oxys on top of that. And you were done. Uh, yeah. Done. How did you wake up? Did you like? Did you were you coherent or did you pass out? Uh, I was I was completely blacked out. I was in, in the bathroom and only one bathroom, so people came over, kind of kicked me out of the way so they could use the bathroom, and I was just on the floor all night. They finally dragged me out into the living room, and my memory is like hazy in and out, and I just spent three days just throwing up. Uh, there was some blood there for a little while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would make me real nervous. I'd be yeah. right on WebMD. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing, though. This is the first time you said that you thought. Maybe I have to. St- I have an issue, right? Yeah. That's what you said. Mm-hmm. But what's odd to me is hearing you say that, and the day that you just said you were drinking, mm-hmm. right? And you did oxies that you didn't plan on doing. Somebody had them, and you did it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem to me that there's an addiction per se. It seems like it's just the addiction is getting fucked up. Exactly. Right. It didn't matter what the substance was. It's just I need to get out of myself in whichever way possible. Because I can't stand the regular mm-hmm. JT Tierney. Exactly. So what was, though, your drug of choice? What did really, you know, wet your beak, so Oh, alcohol. Alcohol. Oh, uh, you're a drinker. I'm a big drinker. So it, it like especially towards the end of my run, I I, I say this to people is like the, the the night would start with a bottle and end with a stem because that was my last drug of choice before I, I finally got clean was I started smoking crack. Really? Yeah. Okay. So before we get into that, so <laughs> give me the morning. Right, you wake up, mm-hmm. and how old are you at this time? Uh, that like around your that peak, time. Your peak. Oh, the uh, roller coaster is just <laughs> about to go go to the top. No, the problem is the peak lasted probably from like nineteen to twenty seven, twenty eight. Oh, so you had a run. <laughs> oh yeah. So you the height of your run. Mm-hmm. The you know the peak of all peaks, the drinking, the drugs, all of it. Give me a morning. You would wake up. Say at what time? Uh. Well, my big peak was probably around 26 and wake up for work. See, I never thought I had a problem because I held a job. And I, my girlfriend at the time, who is now the mother of my child, uh, my ex, uh, you know, we'd wake up, get to work. I'd be waking up, you know, like 8 o'clock. And then I'd go to my job and on my way and smoke a blunt. And then, you know, take my first cigarette break, go smoke a blunt, you know, maybe hit a little flask that I kept in the car. Oh, you did? You kept a flask? Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You would do that. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't wake up right away and 
then go right for the bottle. No. Or did it ever get to that it, point? It was always a joint. If 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 I had it, the you joint know? get mm-hmm. you going. Yeah, start feeling better, mm-hmm. and then the next thing you know, it's where's the where's the liquor? Uh, yeah. And now you're back at work, liquored up, high. Mm-hmm. And what were you doing at the time? At that time, uh, mostly data entry and truck driving. So it was, um, you know, Amazon was was like still big into like the books. Like it started off as like a bookstore. So these guys owned this warehouse, and they would buy books from Manhattan, like, like this like uh, little spot that like you know did displays, and they would sell to like Barnes and Nobles and all that stuff. And when all their display books uh, were done and they were redoing their shelves, we'd go out and we'd buy the boxes for like five dollars a box. So I'd, I'd take this this shitty van out to the city, pick them up, come back, and then I would just we had a, a laptop on, a, on on a cart and this big warehouse full of shelves, and I'd just scan the book. It would scan it to like ten different websites, the biggest one being Amazon, and then put in like which shelf, what number. And put it on the shelf. It's just that yeah. all day. Yeah, no wonder why you're drinking and smoking weed. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. So you said before that you, you know, fell on the sword, so to speak, and you mm. went back to your mother and said, hey, listen, I got to move back in here. Yeah. I would assume that she's an expert on drugs and people that are high, and mm-hmm. she could probably spot it out like that. And here you come. Mm-hmm. You are at your peak. Yeah. Doing your thing. Were you able to hide it from your mother, or did she know immediately? Ah, she knew immediately. But like, as long as I wasn't bringing it to the house, she didn't say anything. It it drove her absolutely nuts. But what was she? What do you mean? How do you know that she? Give me an example why it drove her nuts. How? What? What made you believe? Oh, I would come home. You know, my eyes would be red, and she, you're doing that shit. (laughs) You know, she'd be yelling at me, and you're saying, "No, go fuck yourself. Not doing anything. You know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Don't judge me. All that shit. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, she was the best person to go to for help. But I didn't think. I had a problem and I didn't want to hear anything from her, you know? Yeah, I understand. So when did it then give me when you said, hey, I'm going to have to do something here. Was it did you ever OD on anything? Uh, there was just that one time that I think it was alcohol poisoning. And then, like, I I said I was going to quit, but I really just I slowed down for a little while. So there was like uh, two weeks where I didn't drink at all, but I had to smoke some pot. That was my medicine. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, within the month I was back to drinking again. But then, um, you know, my son was born when I was uh, 27 and I promised him, you know, you're going to have a life that, that I never had. I'm not going to do, you know, I'm not going to make you go through the things that I did. And, uh, but, you know, I just, I, I couldn't stop doing what I was doing. And uh, at the time I, I started working at a machine shop doing a CNC machining uh, for aerospace defense parts. So again, thinking uh, I'm functional, you know, but I started drinking there too. They don't know about that. I probably shouldn't be saying that. I'm still working there 10 years later. Uh, they, they've been amazing though. But, um, you know, he Loyal was, to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I was, you know, I had a son and I got to do right by him, but I, I couldn't stop drinking. And there was times, oh, he's. What's the drink? Like, if you could have at the house, let's just say you're there by yourself, what were you drinking? Oh, whiskey. 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 Bottles of whiskey. I get a, a liter for the weekend, and by Friday night, it's all gone. I'm buying another bottle the next morning. Oh, really? Morning. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean? So you sit there and in your head, you're talking stuff. I'll just drink this for the weekend, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of that night. Yeah. The bottle's gone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to take a quick break in the action here. Got to pay some bills. Today's show is sponsored by MyPillow.com. Make sure you go over to MyPillow.com and use the promo code TJCS. Why is that? You get up to 66% off everything in your cart. So whether it's the Giza sheets, the pillows, the slippers, the blankets, you name it. Go over to MyPillow.com. You punch in promo code TJCS. And you get up to 66% off your entire cart. 
Also, today's show is sponsored by the illiteratemillionaire.com. And that, of course, that course is being given to you by Brian Karp. Brian Karp is the real estate giant here on Long Island. The course is targeted for entrepreneurs, real estate brokers, just brokers in general, anyone basically who wants to raise the temperature of their sales game. What's involved in this course? Well, Brian pulls back the curtain on his real estate business and how he started off selling three houses to friends and family, and now he's selling over 200 houses a year. Just in 2021, this man sold over 260 houses. Do the math. We live here on Long Island. Each house, the average house is around 500,000. He sold over 260. Again, you have to go to illiteratemillionaire.com, and here's the best part. You use our promo code, TJCS, and you instantly save $500 from the course. So what about, your, you said at the time, your girlfriend, who you're dating now, right? Uh, no, no. This was my ex. We got married uh, not too long after my son was born, and uh, now we're separated. But uh, yeah, she, like, she... I, I don't know how she didn't see it, you know? I guess we were just so in love at the time that, like, what was she going to say, you know? I was still making a paycheck. The bills were still relatively getting she paid. She had to have known. Yeah. She, because, if you you know, you're drinking whiskey, mm -hmm. right? And then you're doing what? You, have, you, you don't have that on your breath? Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. I do a couple of shots, uh, you know, of whiskey. You can tell right away yeah. anybody that's around you. Yeah, she had to be able to tell. And she, she used to smoke, too. So, like, we would smoke together. So that was never, you know, an issue until after my son was born. And then she pretty much, you know, she quit everything. Did you ever have a conversation with your mother about why she didn't tell you who your real father was? Like, wh why would you, why, or, or better yet, why did you lie to me and tell me it was uncle whatever? Uh, she wasn't around. By the time, like, that, those conversations would have come up, I was already in my, in my mother's custody, uh, my grandmother's custody. Oh, so it didn't even, it could, you could couldn't even do it if you wanted exactly. to. Exactly. That's interesting that you mm -hmm. that you do that. So talk to us about your sobriety sobriety now. How yeah, long has so it been? After my son was born, it was a few years into that, and um, you know, my, my wife was kind of done with me and um and uh so we separated and it was just like, oh, my life is in absolute shambles. Uh I went and did some time for, for some fuck ups and then um so it was just I had the same experience as my mother. Here I am, like I don't have I, I can't see my son. Uh my life is falling apart. I'm thirty years old now. What am I doing with my life? And yeah. it was like I got I, I gotta do something and I got myself into a program, did a nine month uh rehab and that was um I started that in what was it, October of twenty seventeen? Oh yeah, around there. And um, once I got done with the program, did some sober living, and um, so my I consider my clean date when I finally hit the back on the streets with with no uh, no sober living or anything like that, and that was May eighteenth, twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Yeah. So does ever come a time when people are doing drugs or drinking in front of you that you start saying, "Wow, man, I would love to have a drink." Every once in a while, yeah, I won't lie. Uh, so like we were at a party yesterday, and most of my friends uh, still drink and stuff like that, which it's fine, and they're so supportive. So they even know if I was like, oh, I would like just a sip of that. They immediately they'll be like, "Do we have to put this away? <laughs> we'll oh, put really? this away." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. but every once in a while, like you know, if I see it, I, I get the taste for it, and then um, you know, with my my company, Full Spec Productions, uh, we. Um, I do a lot of audio for bands, so like the last couple of gigs I've done, we've been in breweries <laughs> and bars and stuff like that. And most of the time, at least as I'm working, I, I can keep my mind focused uh, elsewhere. Uh, but every once in a while, I get that that little taste in the back of my throat. What What about you? 
saying, hey, you know what? Maybe one day mm-hmm. I'll be able to just have a drink and not be like that. Or is it no. that you can never do that? No. I, Why? Why do you think that, that you can't and some people can? Because I've tried that before. Like, I'm just I'm, I'm just going to drink every once in a while, maybe smoke a little pot. And it never worked out. It always escalated again. It just it was always a problem for me like that. I could never just do a little bit. I don't have that off switch. And I'm, I'm very aware of that. Do you think that maybe it's because – this is what I would think, to be honest with you – if my mom was, you know, doing crack and all this other stuff mm-hmm. while I was, you know, in her stomach, I would think that I got fucked. Mm-hmm. And this is probably why I can't have an on and off switch mm-hmm. because I've been addicted to this since then. Yeah. And it's my body is just dying for it. Exactly. Does that go through your mind? Oh, absolutely. And my father was an addict and then my grandfathers on both sides were alcoholics. My great grandfathers, my great grandfather on my father's side uh, in the 20s, he was making, you know, bootleg gin <laughs> down in lower Manhattan. And selling, oh, really? Yeah. Selling that it sounds up. like a good time, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I have a history of alcoholics, addicts, uh, gamblers, degenerates in, in my Do family. Do you think that, though, that is, is really a thing? that it's it's in the genes oh, because absolutely. it passes on everybody's drinking everybody's smoking everybody's doing drugs mm-hmm. has a kid that kid goes through the same thing has a kid that kid does the same and it's just a never-ending cycle absolutely whether it's an addiction to actual drugs or just something in the brain that's just like needs something else to fuck with those dopamine levels there's something in there in the genetics but that's that's with everything even think of um uh any trait that we have has has developed through evolution and like a baby baby doesn't know anything when it comes out but if you let a baby go right after you have birth it will crawl its way up to the mother's chest like that that's just something in the genes that's passed on from generation to generation that's just yeah. in there so i would assume addiction is 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 definitely a a, a gene thing so i i'm interested in knowing about about this whole crack thing you said mm-hmm. that you were doing. That's something you know, I've done <laughs> almost every drug. I've never ever smoked crack. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I, you know, I never even seen it to be honest with you. I never <laughs> even, there was nobody even around. I would never have done it anyway. It's just so dirty, just the, the name of it. Mm-hmm. But you found yourself doing crack. Yeah. How did that happen? Uh, the way it happens to a lot of people, I was into cocaine and uh, hanging out with a with a buddy that would would dabble in both. And uh, one day we went to go pick up, and he's like, "I give him the money." He goes into the dealer's place, he comes out, he's like, "Ah, oh, she doesn't have any." I was like, "All right, well, I guess we're done for the night." He's like, "No, but she had some rock." So I got some rock. I was like, "All right, fuck it, Sounds it's like already here." <laughs> Sounds like a setup. Sounds like he wanted the crack. Oh, absolutely. And that's the gig. Absolutely. You know, the, the jig was on you there that he said, "Oh no, no, we're just doing this." Completely. How does that first time doing crack, can you explain that feeling? Like, what, what does it do to you? Oh, my God. Think of Coke on steroids. So all the, the crazy jitters and feeling, like, super, super amped up and, and anxious. But also, like, for me, it, it made me nauseous at the same time. So it was like a combination. I got a little nauseous, but then, like, I felt like I could fly. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. My whole body was nice and warm, like, t- like taking a, a nice shot of a good whiskey. And it was just like, oh, my God, I feel like I could do anything. <laughs> wow. And then, and then what happens? How, how, does that, how long does something like that last? Uh, Good question. Probably like 15 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes, because we were just taking little hits because we had this little rock that we had to share between us, you know, at least for that first time. And then, uh, funny enough, super horny. Really? (laughs) On crack? Oh, my God. If you've ever heard stories about, like, you know, girls, you know, crackhead girls, like, fucking for crack, that's why there's so many stories of that, you know? I got to tell you, I would think that you'd be limp as a, you know, 
doing coke. Forget it. Now you're smoking crack. I would mm-hmm. think that's even worse. I know some people are a little bit different, but from my experience and from what I've heard from a bunch of people, yeah, Coke, you get horny, but you're not getting up. Crack, you get horny, you'll get up, but you never finish. Oh, it's the worst, <laughs> it's too. It's terrible. Because i got to tell you, because you know, <laughs> then it turns into an embarrassment. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, it's not you. Mm-hmm. And like, if they don't know that you fucked up, yeah. what are you going to say? I, you know, I smoked a couple of crack stems yeah. you know, before you got here. Like, uh-huh. What are you going to say? No. Yeah, yeah you, can't even, mm-hmm. you can't even say that but that, that that's that's crazy so yeah when you're smoking the crack though mm-hmm. like so for weed with me mm-hmm. i smoke i get high mm-hmm. if i smoke 10 minutes 15 minutes later i'm not getting high up again like mm-hmm. it's just it's just like a downward thing for me i probably get more tired or whatever mm-hmm. But with crack, is that different? Like after 15 minutes that you come down, you smoke the crack again and you're exact same spot or do you start getting a tolerance? You start getting a tolerance. You start getting a tolerance relatively quick too. That's that's why, you know, people get so addicted to it and need more and more and they start breaking into houses, you know, to get that because it's it's such a fleeting high. But it's it's a really good one. But again, yeah, you, you build a tolerance to it. And um, so like... Unlike weed, where like you hit it and it takes a couple minutes to kick in, this is like an instant rush. The minute you you take it, you're feeling it. Do was there ever a time that somebody caught you with drugs or like that you didn't want? You were trying to hide from them, say your your ex, mm-hmm. your mother, going you draws or something like that. That you are now you're you you're caught. Yeah, only only my mother once. Really, once. And the funny part was, it actually wasn't my bag. What was it? <laughs> it was a bag of pot. I, I don't know. It must have been you know seventeen, eighteen. It was just before I moved out, and uh, uh, we had a pool in the back. Some buddies came over, and we were smoking and everything like that. And uh, somebody left their towel. And it got into my into our, our linen closet, and my mom's pulling out linens, and all of a sudden this bag pops out. Ugh. And she's like, I knew you were smoking. I knew it. And I'm like, I am, but that's not mine. Yes. <laughs> but she drug tested me, and, and sure enough, it came up. Oh, she did? She drug tested you and everything? Me. At 17 years old? Yeah, she pulled out. So, yeah. so, so let's move on here now. You said before you have a business that yes. you opened up. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit of uh, background about that. So um, I do, well, my current business, we do multimedia. Production, yeah, full spec productions full over here. Full spec productions. So we do audio, video, lighting uh, for any event. We do podcast. Uh, you did recording. my, you did my studio, yeah. and I fucking love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, we I, have- I, I can't. I gotta tell you the truth. It's, you know, if anybody wants to know, like, you know, what it looks like that you do, it's just as you're watching this. Yeah, this is it. This you know? is it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the most work that we've been getting recently is bands doing audio for live bands, like providing a PA system and everything like that. Um, but uh, we'll do anything. And like all my all my equipment is portable. I can record on anything. So like I've done, you know, some recordings for bands. If you've got a studio, I'll come over. I'll do recordings for you, whether it's podcasts, you want to record a demo with your band. We do everything. I've done uh, some like promo video shoots for some bands uh, like this one band. Somehow Sorry, they're a great uh, rock band out here. We did a little thing during the, the pandemic. Uh, they, they downsized their band and were doing like a little bit more of an acoustic thing. And they got a basement studio. So went there, just did a, did a little shoot, brought some some lights down, and they just played their set. We did a little recording, so they had a little promo video to get out to you know some more venues. So so what made you decide? Hey, you know what, audio is something that I like to do, and it's not a lot. Your work is behind the camera. 
Uh, like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So he's <laughs> behind the camera. So give me how you led you know down that path. Well, I originally went to college at Five Towns College for film and video because it started in high school. My grades were, were getting a little crappy, and they did an assembly, uh, and uh, BOCES came down, Eastern Suffolk BOCES, the trade school. And uh, I could use something to kind of boost up my grades a little bit, and why not learn a trade? And so I wanted to do audio. They had no audio program, but they had television production. So I was like, oh, let me get into that. Did it for two years. I, I, I was kind of digging it, and one of the professors was a professor at Five Towns College. So if you completed the program, you got a scholarship to, to Five Towns. So did that, and after about a year and a half, I realized I don't want to do video. Like, it's a lot of fun. I did some internships at some TV studios, but I was like, I'm really into audio. I was playing in bands and everything. And a few years down the road, had a, a, a friend that was a bartender at a venue in Ronkonkoma, and one day their sound guy was just like, eh, I'm done with this place. They're like, we got a show tonight. So she calls me up. She's like, you know how to run a board. And I'm thinking, well, I've done in TV studios, but not for a band. But yeah, sure, I know yeah, how to work an audio board. So I went down there, ran it. They liked what I did. It, it came out decent enough. And so I started working there. And so I started picking up books on audio production. Uh, anytime a band came in, they had a buddy that did sound for them. I'd be like, you know, they come over. It sounds good, but you could tweak this a little bit. Yeah, show me, show me. And I just I learned what, what I could from everybody and then met this guy, Vic. Uh, we were working together. I, I, I got hired to do a gig, but he was like the house so sound guy there. But for some reason, I got hired to go there. And he's like, I don't know what you're doing here. But we wound up hitting it off. We became good Coke buddies. <laughs> but good <he> Coke buddies. <laughs> yeah. That was that was. How does that happen too. right there, right? So how does all of a sudden one to like the exchange... <laughs> You want to get fucked up? You you know you party just like that. Just like that. Just you want to like get fucked up? Mm -hmm. yeah. So we're we're sitting there, and uh, he was an amazing sound engineer. So I was like, yeah, let me see how how you're doing what you're doing. This is what I would normally do. He's like, that's okay, but you know, drop this this, this low mid to about here for the kick drum. Do this and that. And then, uh, you know, we're, uh, I was like, let me get you a drink. You drink? Yeah, sure. And I get him a drink. And he's like, you party? I was like, yeah. That's it, like, you party. Hey, come with me. That's it. Off to the bathroom. <laughs> and so, but either or. So uh, the venue that I was working at closed down. So I bought the, the entire sound system out of there. And I was freelancing, getting hired by promoters and stuff like that. But at the time, while I loved it, it was like I was only making a few extra bucks. But it was a reason to get me in the bar. And uh, most of the money I was making, I was spending at the bar that night. But I loved doing what I was doing but by the time my life fell apart i wound up having to sell everything and, you know, everything everything fell apart and i was starting to sell stuff anyway that you know get what i needed and after i got clean um I started getting back into playing bands and stuff like that, and that's when I met my buddy Charlie. You met him. He helped yep. with uh, wiring some of this stuff up. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. And uh, we hit it off. Charlie's a good guy, too. Oh, he's What's amazing. the name of his business? Uh, uh, oh, my God. I can't remember. Silver you. Laboratories. Silver Laboratories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, he had a little PA system, and I was starting to collect a little bit of stuff. And even though the band that we were in, we were we were starting to have you know our differences and everything. And so we went our separate ways. But Charlie and I kept being friends. So I was like, "You got some stuff. I got some stuff. Yeah, you want?" I really wanted to get back into it. I was like, "How about we combine this and actually you know start a, a, a production company?" You know. And so we, we 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 spent a bunch of money. We took out some you know loans. So who? And stuff. So how many partners do you have? Uh, just the one. But just, okay. he's now he has left. He's he's going to be moving into Florida so I've taken over the, the whole thing but uh, we invested a bunch of money got whatever sound equipment we could we got a, a, a lighting system we got some video stuff and uh, then we signed for our, our S Corp in January of 2019 oh <laughs> But hold on a second. Hold on a second. I, I'm interested in this whole I had a partner and now I don't have a partner thing. Mm -hmm. 
you know, do you like having a partner or are you more excited now that you're taking it over? Because by taking it over solo, there's more responsibility as well. Yeah. So talk to me about that. It's a little daunting because he's the business minded side. I don't, he's already been running a business for eight years. I don't know anything about like business and taxes other than doing my personal taxes. So uh, he, he's more than willing to still help me out. But uh, the hardest part is now doing gigs alone because even with just a basic PA system, it's hundreds of feet of these XLR cables. So it's a lot more work just doing, doing it double myself. The work. Yeah, exactly. But now here's the thing though. It, in a way, you're not still splitting things with him, right? Exactly. You're not. No, no. So whatever he was getting half of, you could pay less than that mm -hmm. and get workers to yeah. work for you. And but now that's expanding. Yeah. And with bigger gigs like I do that, like if uh, you want to scroll down a little bit uh, over here, there's a video section somewhere. Uh, yeah, videos. Check that out. Now, this is your sound system. This is you doing everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, we do a lot of stuff with the town of Riverhead, or, like, uh, right there was, uh, with the, the band stage, down uh, three, and over to the left. And this is somehow, sorry, uh, I think. Oh, not somehow, sorry. There's some of the other bands. But, uh, yeah, that all that setup that's, you know, a lot of cable, a lot of work. Uh, so uh, my girlfriend's brother came and gave me a hand. You know, I threw him a couple of bucks. Um, yeah, because that... So, yeah. you know, I never thought that the, I always thought that was band the bands all their equipment all the time. Some bands, yes, and even if a band does have their own equipment, they usually hire somebody to come at least do the engineering. Yes, uh, to to run it because you can't run it while you're playing at the same time. What's the biggest fear for you? You set up the whole all all of the equipment, right? Place is packed out. Mm. P, you know, the band's about to start playing. What is what, what What makes you nervous? What are some potential things that will give you, like, really high anxiety? One thing and one thing alone. Monitor mixes. Stage monitors. Stage monitors are the hardest to mix, and especially, like, I have decent equipment, but it's not the highest-end stuff, because, again, my buddy and I, we just took whatever we could out of our pockets to get what we yeah, could. Yeah, starting somewhere. Who gives a shit? Exactly. This is it. But monitor mixes, you gotta get them just right so the band can hear themselves and you're not getting feedback. Explain what a monitor mix is. Okay. So, uh, you know, you have your PA speakers that are going out towards the crowd. Now, you have the same kind of speakers on the stage facing back towards, towards your performers so they can hear what's going on. The only problem is a lot of guys like to turn up, and especially when you, you have an acoustic drum kit, they're so loud. So for the band to be able to hear themselves over everything, you got to get those monitor mixes nice and loud. But then you got a speaker facing a microphone and so if some of these singers are singing really low you got to really boost up the gain on the microphone but now you're making the mic so hot and then they're going i can't hear myself over the drums so now you're turning up that monitor with a hot mic feedback is a serious issue that what you is this the whole fix. thing that you have what is that a, a diagram over there on yeah. the right mm -hmm. can you here, click that see see if that uh gets you know larger so you got your band in the back but then you got your monitors up front and a lot of musicians who have been doing it for a long time don't have the best hearing anymore. 
There so it is. everything needs to be louder, louder, louder. So there's the monitors facing, and then the one coming out. I gotta tell you, yeah, I never ever thought of that. Yeah, monitor mixes are the most difficult because they they damn near want that, that those monitor mixes to be as loud as the PA going out, but their stuff is facing their their microphones. Yes, you know? yes, it's, I never even thought of that. It's very and you get difficult. some of the singers that are difficult to you know manage because they're always complaining. Yeah, which I don't blame them. You want to be able to hear yourself, so I do the best that I can. But oh, monitor, drive me bananas. Oh, monitor mixes you. are tough, and especially like uh, I, I deal with mostly the local circuits. So sometimes it's like small bars, and they'll be like in a small corner, so you get all this this reverber natural reverberation anyway. So everything's bouncing around and coming back, and you, you got an acoustic drum kit. People are turning their amps up loud. Yeah, yeah, I need yeah, to yeah. hear myself over all this. Now we're turning up these monitors so loud in this tiny place that's reverberating, and their mic is cranked all the way up because they're singing like this and it's it, it's it's a nightmare but yeah. you know i do the best i can because i'm there to make the you know of, of course you want to make the band sound good out to the crowd but one of the most important things is to make them happy they can only perform at their best if they can hear what they're doing what is what is what, what actually what is me what makes jt happy now like what is something could you just use the word happy there mm -hmm. you know you, you know you had some life here i gotta tell you right now <laughs> Terrible childhood, mm. what you had to go through. And now here you are. How old are you now? Uh, 36. 36, mm -hmm. and you're at the peak of your game. Mm -hmm. You have your own business. You're you know sober for a long time. You know, talk to me about what you do now mm -hmm. to get, in, you know, in, in replace of the gratification of being drunk, mm -hmm. smoking weed. What, what, what is that? Spending time with family means a lot more to me than it ever did. Uh, so my son, now I get to spend time with him, which I wasn't doing before. It was like, oh, we got a birthday party to go to. Well, I'm too hungover. You take the kid, you know? But now I, I get to take him on weekends. We go out hiking. We go out fishing. Fishing bores the hell out of him until we're, we're doing it. Then he enjoys it. Uh, and spending time with my girlfriend and, and, and my mother and like enjoying time with my mother and her and her husband uh, is uh, her new husband. He's 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 amazing. He's he's a wonderful guy. I have a better relationship with my stepfather. As How well. is that? You know, all of a sudden, when, when did your mother get remarried? Ah, it's got to be uh, nine years ago. Their, their marriage happened around the same time my son was born. So. OK, so around nine years ago, I, uh, I got to tell you, I, I mean, I never had this experience. My mom passed away at a young age. but. Mm. Right. To all of a sudden, a new guy comes in, and you know that that guy's now banging your mom. <laughs> right? That's fucking crazy. Right? Yeah. Like you know, when you're 12, you don't really look at it like that, or you know, when there's young divorce and and don't look at it. But when you're older, it's like, wait a second, what's my mom doing in there? What's what's going on? In there? Oh, there was definitely I was given some side eye at first. You know, yeah. like who is this guy? You know, it's uh, because when her and my 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 stepfather, you know, finally you know uh, broke up. Uh, she was single for a little while and she was doing her thing bouncing around and um you know, she was still working as a counselor. Actually, I think she was the the family coordinator at uh, at the facility uh, uh, outreach house and inpatient for uh, for adolescents. And um, you know, and then all of a sudden she's coming around like, yeah, I'm dating this guy. I'm like, what? Okay, who, who's this guy? You know, and uh, how how many years sober is she? Oh God, um, man, it's got to be. 20 something years at this, wow. at this point 
and uh, actually, nothing, no drink, uh, a little drink. Here. She'll drink a little, a little bit, you know. But, so she's able to do it. And she's able to do it, but she's come a long way, you know. And and she she's very careful with what she does because she's also now the um, she's the director of the facilities she's at. That's why I say like she's such an inspiration. She went from nothing, losing absolutely everything, and then getting back into school, working her ass off, dealing with my brother and I, uh, who were, were nothing but little shits for the longest time, and she's running the facility that she's been at for years. It's, you know, it's, it's really amazing, and if, God forbid, she then fell off, it can be the director, and with exactly. that, so she has a lot going for yeah. her there. And the, the, you know, the man that she met, Bob Rosenfeld, after, you know, hanging out with him a couple of times, I fell in love with him. He's a sweetheart. Oh, it's he's a, he's such a so pleasure to have, because if it's the opposite, forget mm -hmm. it. Make yeah. your life miserable. What is, uh, what's your favorite food? What do you like when you go out at night? You know, and you want to go out to dinner, you and you, you know, and your girlfriend says, "I'll go wherever you want to go. I don't care. Whatever you want. What is your go-to meal at night? Burgers, 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 cheeseburger or a regular cheeseburger, bacon cheeseburger, bacon blue cheeseburger. I love burgers. What is the what, what's your favorite burger places? Uh, hmm. Let's see. I, I hate to say it, but I love Wendy's. Wendy's cheeseburgers the best. They're so good. It's the best. So good. They're so good. I don't know what they make. I don't even know if it's 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 the only meat that tastes that way. There's mm -hmm. no comparison because it's the only one that's fresh. Like I used to work at Wendy's for, for a little while, and those burgers they, they they're not frozen burgers. They're just real hunks of meat. Yeah, they're real hunks of meat. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I worked. I got fired in like a month. <laughs> so so um, all right. So Wendy's. What else? Uh, diners. Diner burger. Diners. Really? That's that's how I can tell if a diner is good. You go and you get a cheeseburger deluxe with coleslaw on the side. If any of those suck, diner sucks. Sorry, I gotta I'm tell not you, coming back. If you don't have a good cheeseburger at a diner, you're 100 percent right. Then mm -hmm. the diner sucks. Yeah. I got so we went to my girlfriend and I read. We went to the city this past weekend, and what we like to do, or what I like to do, and you know, especially ever since I started dating her, is. We walk around the city, mm -hmm. and we just go into a place, order okay. one thing, do a shot, next place. Mm -hmm. Go in, order a shot, order something off the menu, and, and away we go. Mm -hmm. So we did like seven different places, and the, the second to last one, which I thought was going to be the last one, or maybe it was like the third to last one, mm -hmm. we went to a place called Keen's Steakhouse in Manhattan. It's like ranked in top five of all Manhattan steaks, mm -hmm. the filet. So we get it there, wasn't even that good, right? <laughs> wasn't even that good. Now I've already done like seven shots before this, six shots. We had all different kinds of food from pizza. Mm -hmm. We go into one pizza place, just order a slice, we'll cut it, we'll split it, whatever it may be. But we left there and we thought that that was gonna be the end because we got a hotel that night too. But we passed this bar called Scallywags. <laughs> That's a great name. Right, great name, Irish bar. And they had this meatloaf mm. on the menu. And I love meatloaf. Meatloaf is one of my favorite dishes. And we ordered this meatloaf. It was like 10 times better than the best steak at the best steakhouse. In really? Oh, it was the best meatloaf I've ever had in my life. Can you pull up a scallywag? <laughs> he's, uh, on he's on it. He's on it, okay. Eric's Scallywags, uh, it's on 9th Street. And, um, but, but that being said, 
it changed the whole outlook of the bar mm. for me. And just like you said, in the opposite with the with, with, diners. The, with the burgers mm. and the diners. What about Burger King over McDonald's? Which one is better? I think Burger King's better with their, their flame broiled, but they, I don't know what they're putting in those McDonald's burgers. <laughs> it used to be a number two, then it changed, but now it's a number seven. Just two, the two cheeseburger Oh, that one used to be number two. It's a number seven now? Yeah, it's a number seven now. Why would they do that? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. But yeah, the, the two cheeseburgers with a medium fry, medium chocolate shake, there's something, there's some magic going on in that I burger. I gotta tell you how <laughs> I eat that cheeseburger. I put fry, I put the fries on the cheeseburger, yes. and then I dip the cheeseburger in the chocolate shake. Oh, really? Oh, it's the oh best. God. Oh, I love it. I love, I love, because I'm a big cheeseburger guy too. Mm. I, I love cheeseburgers <laughs> as well. Uh, what about cereal when you were growing up or even right now? Sugar cereal. like Cocoa your, Pebbles. Cocoa Pebbles Cocoa is my Pebbles. second favorite. <laughs> What's the favorite? Fruity Pebbles. Okay. I got <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a big Fruity Pebbles guy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a chocolate nut. And then shortly right after that, Reese's Puff cereal because I love anything peanut butter. Oh, I'm a big peanut butter. I love peanut butter Reese's Pieces Cups. That's mm -hmm. one of my favorite chocolate. But I'm also, I just started mini uh, chocolate mini mini wheats. Oh, mini -wheats. okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's delicious. Not bad. That's that right it. There? Scallywags. Oh, there you that's go. beautiful. The side, to the left. Yeah, that's, that's the guy. Yeah, Scallywag. Right? It says Ninth Avenue on the menu. Or? Irish pub, yeah. yeah. yeah that's and that's it. Manhattan? Yeah, all right, Manhattan. Yeah. That's it. Scallywags. Best meatloaf. Best meatloaf you will ever have. Is the meatloaf on the menu? Is there a menu there? That's the meatloaf oh, right there. Oh, my God. That looks amazing. But you have to, each piece of meatloaf, you have to dip also with the mashed potato. Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. You have to do that. Mm -hmm. That's how it's got to be. Yeah. And then it, it's... Oh, God, I couldn't believe See, it. I, I have an amazing meatloaf recipe, but the one thing I've still been trying to get right is is a good sauce for it, you know, because you have those uh, ketchup kind of mixture sauce yes. that you could throw on it or brown gravies and stuff. I make it so well, it doesn't really need anything, but I love sauces. And Do you so put mustard on your cheeseburger? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. Ketchup and mustard. I know that's, that's more of a southern thing, but. That's how I figured, that's how, I didn't know anything about mustard until I went down south one time on mm -hmm. a road trip and I'm driving back and I get McDonald's and it just had mustard on the thing. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is this? I tried it. I loved it. Totally. But now I like world. both mustard and ketchup. But I'm going to have to make you my meatloaf. I came up with this amazing meatloaf recipe during Hurricane Sandy. We were out without power at, at my place at the like time in Huntington. 15 years ago, right? 10 yeah. years, 12 years ago, something? And uh, we were living in Huntington, and it was just after my son was born. He was just a couple months old. It was scary because it was cold at that time. And all everything we had, our, our our cooking stuff, everything was electric. So And we were without power for like a week and a half. Remember the gas lines that you would have to get gas would be down the block. You go there with two jugs. Mm -hmm. So, but what we did have is we had a little bit of propane, but we had a fire pit. So we have all this food that's gonna about to go bad. So like, let's come up with some stuff to cook over the fire. So I wound up making this meatloaf, which was a, an older recipe of mine anyway. Wrapped it up in tin foil, just threw it right on the fire, and then flipped it over and, and just cooked it for, I don't know, like a little bit over an hour. And we had chopped up carrots and onions and all that kind of stuff and mixed it in with the tin foil with the, the meatloaf. When it came out, it was the juiciest meatloaf. And because all the vegetables were cooking in the grease and everything, it kind of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Caramelized them. It was amazing. Listen, you make the meatloaf and then come hang out at my house <laughs> and we'll eat it. Sounds I like would, a plan. I would, I would, I would love to try that. I'm a big meatloaf guy. So tell me about now the business here. Mm -hmm. 
how do people get in touch with you if they want to um they need somebody for audio especially just to people like if you're a solo you know singer and you're going to these breweries and everything right and you don't know too much about audio but you want to have a nice audio system mm -hmm. they'd be able to call you correct yeah absolutely or we have our website uh fullspecproductions.com uh we have uh in the contact us uh, there's a little uh, sheet you can fill out right there and it'll come straight to our email also i might have to update my phone number on there now that the uh yeah i just realized i gotta update that phone number <laughs> now, everybody that comes on here says the same thing every time i look at my website i always say oh my god i can't believe i still have that there i gotta yeah. take that down and then i never do because it's a pro it's work mm -hmm. i gotta go into this thing and i gotta figure out where the links and it's like in my head right away i'm like i don't have that time to do that i'll do it later tonight yeah and then always forget i'm gonna have it done by the end of today though so um because my partner left you know we were revamping some stuff he had a phone service we were using so we're, we're not going to use that anymore so I, I got something new well you have to you know the, the phone service is great, mm -hmm. but it's expensive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, what, like $150 a month? Uh, yeah. Something like that to, mm -hmm. to have it. But it is great. Yeah. They, they email you the whole, you know, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Or I'm sure now I, I wonder if they record the conversation and send it to you as a file. Uh, yeah, they do, actually. That's what they do? Because mm -hmm. they didn't do that then like 10 years ago when I had one for my law office. Mm hmm and that's that's crazy. Yeah, you can you get email notifications and all that stuff. So, but I got to get a new one since he's gone. But either way, we have the contact sheet. You put in your name, uh, your email, and then what you're looking for, and it goes straight to our. What's email. the last gig that you've done? Uh, it was Spinderella and the Posers. They're a really fun band. They do covers from like you know 70s to like 90s, but they throw their own twist on stuff. Like they do a, a Taylor Swift song, but they turn it into like a hard rock song. It's it's pretty awesome. Uh, actually, can you pull up the uh, the Facebook again? Oh, it's on there. Yeah, oh, I would love the, to hear. They're this. such a fun band. Uh, it's the wait back up. See the videos there. The I think the top the top one. No, nope, the bottom left. Sorry, I think it's that one. Yeah. I love breweries. I just started going to breweries, mm -hmm. you know, with uh, with Red. Mm -hmm. I love them. It's a great thing. What a great place to own. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? People come, hang out, shoot darts, maybe shoot some pool, have some bands playing. Mm -hmm. You can't beat that. Yeah. And you know, it's a great thing to say, I'm going to work, and I own the brewery. Exactly. And the craziest thing is, the I was talking with the owner. Apparently, he helped even build the entire facility because he used to be in construction and stuff like that, him and his dad. So they built this, this huge facility. He's got, a, the I think, like, three or four big vats and then they have a little tasting room up in front but this whole back warehouse is is amazing and they have bands come down so, so great operation so again facebook mm -hmm. right and also what about email like can they get in touch with you send you an email oh, yeah, or absolutely which is listed on everything but it's full spec productions ny at gmail.com full spec productions ny mm -hmm. at gmail.com yeah listen tt i loved having you on yeah anytime so brother i mean <laughs> and thank you <laughs> not a problem thank you for building the place it's, i really appreciate it yeah, it's great that's, seeing you that's what we do man <laughs> yeah and come back and listen i gotta tell you i'd love to have your mother on oh yeah i'll, I'll let her know say so he you know i i just say listen he's yeah. dying to have you on. i would love to talk well, to like her. i said she's she's a huge inspiration and like if you want to see the difference in our family like i wasn't gonna bring it up but uh my brother unfortunately just passed away uh um, you know on may 6th and um the addiction runs hard on, on all of our family, and unfortunately for him, you know, it, it, it got the best of him. And right now, like, I would urge anybody, if you're in the game, 
do your best to get out of it because that fentanyl is out everywhere. The numbers of overdoses just keep going up and up and up. And, you know. Well, hold on, hold on. Let's talk about this. Yeah. I apologize. You know, I didn't want to bring that up unless you you brought it up because I (laughs) saw it on your Facebook and I think I even commented on it. Yeah. Um, But how close on a one to 10, 10 being like, you know, real tight brother, Mm -hmm. how close were you with him? I'd say an eight. (laughs) To an eight. That's nice. That's that's a Mm -hmm. a healthy relationship there. Mm -hmm. How, you know, for somebody that's sober, did you know that he was using? Uh, yeah, he's he's been on and off for a while, and for you know we had gone years where we were close, years that we weren't, you know, and because we were just so in our own worlds. And then he just uh, he just had a kid, and he was trying to get his stuff cleaned up, and we were getting back to that point of, of trying to talk he? more. Uh, he's six years younger than me, so he, he yeah he had uh, he was going to be thirty one this July. Thirty one years old, mm-hmm. and um, how, how, talk to me about that phone call. How did you find out? Uh, well, you know, it was the uh, the Friday before Mother's Day, and uh, that whole day I was like, I got to give him a call, see if he wants me to come pick him up, and, and my niece, you know, his daughter, and go to my mom's house. And I was like, oh, I'll give him a call later. I give him a call later, and um, just like. Uh, After I got out of work, I was going to go pick up my son and take him for the weekend. So I was like, oh, you know what? After we get home, I'll I'll give him a call, see if we can plan something. And I'm halfway home, and uh, uh, my mom gives me a call, letting me know that the detectives had uh, just called her, letting her know that he he had passed. Where were you? Were you driving? I was driving down Sunrise Highway, and I had literally just passed the exit for his his apartment. And and, and tell me about those emotions. Like, you know, did you pull over? Did you stop breaking down crying? I was doing my best to hold it together because uh, I knew I was going to tell my son, but that wasn't the time. And we still had, <laughs> a, a, you know, a good 40 minutes to get home. So I just I held it in as best as I could until we got home. Then I, I brought him into my apartment and asked my girlfriend to step outside. And uh, then I, I broke down. Do you think that maybe if you would have called him, things does that go through your mind? Like if I would have just called him, maybe he would have yeah. changed certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, my... um. And uh, my, my father, he killed himself. Mm. And three days before that, he called me up. He was a total big time gambler. Mm-hmm. Called me up and wanted to borrow $200. And I was already like, fuck that. I'm not doing this anymore. Because the last thing I'm thinking that he would have killed himself. Mm-hmm. But then when you think about it, like, well, if I would have given him the $200, it would have been still enabling him in the yeah. gambling. Mm-hmm. But maybe it wouldn't have drawn him to the point that he needed the money so bad that he just said, fuck this. I'm gonna kill myself. Yeah, um, I don't really care for the guy anyway. So it just the thought goes in and thought goes out. It's not like an eight mm-hmm. on a brother level. Yeah, but how do you deal with that? Uh, it's it's been a lot of work. Luckily, you know, in, in my path of recovery and all that kind of stuff, I've I've been able to uh, change a lot of my thought processes and and be able to be more accepting of things that happen in life, uh, life on life's terms. And um, is that but, a saying in recovery? Oh yeah, absolutely. Life on, on life's, life's terms. terms. Just because uh, all break I that can, down. I, I love it. I, I want to see, <laughs> but you know, I want to see how where it hits you with that. All I can do is take care of my side of the street, do the best that I can to be a positive influence for myself and those around me. What goes on in the world around me, I have no control over. That's 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 going to go on with or without me, and I can't focus on everything else other than what I'm doing. 
and I have to take life on life's terms. Some days are going to be good. Some days are going to be bad. Even if I'm doing my best, I'm going to have shit days sometimes. And that's that's the universe is just going to do what the universe does. I, and I have to be okay with I, that. I, lo I love the term, but I'm, I'm intrigued on whether is that the best thing that you've ever gotten out of recovery, that right there? Or is there something else that you could share with us that based on all of your re, you know rehab stints and everything that you've learned and being mm -hmm. sober, is there something else that really said, "Wow, this is it. This is this is a life-changing <laughs> saying, quote, feeling, thought." I, I have it actually tattooed right here. It was when I was first getting clean, and I was uh, just gotten to rehab and doing my first group. And um, some guy was talking about, you know, it, you could say all the things that you want to do, you could have all these plans, but I'm going to act. I need to act. And let my actions speak so loudly that my words cannot be heard. And so I got that actually tattooed right here. I got this whole philosophy I'm trying to turn into a tattoo because I'm a weirdo like that. But um, So tell me, say this saying again. Well, I'll give you the whole philosophy. So I'm going to get a whole little uh, galaxy, you know, going on here because all my, all my uh, decisions have consequences that ripple throughout the universe, no matter how big or how small. So knowing that, I want to align myself with positive energies of the universe. And in my time, everlasting, in the metaphysical, yet ever dwindling in the physical, I will do all that I can to be a positive influence. But words are cheap, so may my actions speak so loudly that my words cannot be heard. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love, I'm a little concerned about this whole tattoo thing. <laughs> I love tats. <laughs> I, I have a couple of tats. I, I have two of them, and I regret it. I, like, you don't ever sit there and say oh man what the fuck did i get this one for or this one's starting to bleed you know like the one on my back looks like it's bleeding mm -hmm. like you know it just turns different color and it's just not as sharp and crisp mm -hmm. besides and i said thank god i don't see it because mm -hmm. if i had to see it every day then that would bother me but that doesn't you know what doesn't affect you at all there's only one that i'm like that was a stupid one i have this little broken heart over my heart and that was you know that was a uh, angsty teen uh, bullshit so is that over a broken heart oh yeah absolutely oh man you have to explain that every time a girl sees it oh what does this mean oh you know and now they probably think to themselves that's the girl. Yeah, exactly. And because of that girl, I got to see this heart broken mm. all the time. But it's not even that anymore. It means something completely different. It's a look into my old life and how dramatic I was and how, you know, attached to things and people I that like I that were. Better. And not and so insecure. It's it's a whole different side of me that no longer exists, but it's a reminder of where I can be and why I have to do the things that I do. What else do you do during the day to get you to stay positive? Do you listen to motivational books? What I listen to tons of podcasts. Podcast. Actually, my new obsession is scary, uh, scary podcasts. So listening to uh, uh, Otis Jiry's uh, scary stories told in the dark, where they take like you know fictional horror stories and narrate them. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm like completely obsessed with them. I got to tell you, it's a great idea. <laughs> take Dracula mm -hmm. and do that in, a, in your own little spin. Exactly. Is there a copyright that you write? I mean, because you're I have no. Most of the stories that they do are like a, a anonymous stories from online or from writers that have like, you know, submitted stuff to be done. Yeah, because I would think I couldn't just read the whole book, mm -hmm. Dracula, 
on my podcast. Yeah, no, it's not even like, you know, stories that you heard of. It could be, you know, Joe Schmo down the block wrote like a crazy yeah, you know, yeah, little yeah, horror yeah. story and then they asked to, to submit it and then, you know, somebody narrate will narrate it. it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I would mm-hmm. love to narrate that thing too. So, that's that's a great gig. I love comedy. I love anything science. Of course, you know, Rogan and all that stuff, um, especially when he's he's got like scientists on and stuff like that. What's, what's your theory on the UFOs that these naval officers see out, you know, out in the ocean? The ones that they're, they're, they're saying I, I don't know. I have no idea because they seem pretty legit compared to like the old ones that we've seen, you know, before they were saying that, you know, they're real. But it's like it just seems too convenient the way like, you know, the, the country is getting all crazy and it just looks like a hey, just look over here. Look over here. I I, I, I think they my, my are, thing are, is, is this. Why don't we have and, and unless it's really so far away, but we have this technology that you could look through these telescopes and see these mm-hmm. different planets and galaxies and it's so it's so beautiful and 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 so sharp but yet when it comes to these ufos we can't do it's like this blurry thing out of a mm-hmm. you know 1920s movie that you can't even identify it's it's really crazy well if they are real one thing that could be about that is one they bounce around so much two if the technology that like you know bob lazar or somebody says is what they use then they're distorting gravity which that means it's also going to distort and refract light so you're never going to get a clear image, image of one of these of, things oh it's a great point that you say mm-hmm. that yeah it's great <laughs> um but I think that's exactly what they are. I think that they are the spaceships that Bob Lazar mm-hmm. was talking about when he was work, working there. Mm-hmm. And they now have mastered flying them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So what they do is is they only fly them around the United States military because, God forbid, mm-hmm. a crash or something happens. It's mm-hmm. in safe hands. Like, I don't think they're going to test this out in China, mm-hmm. you know, at the China yeah, Sea or anything absolutely. like that, right? Mm-hmm. That's That's my opinion. But then the question is... Are they American made or are they like, you know, did we make them or were they found? And if we found, then what? It's a good possibility, reverse, you know, engineered technology. And the only reason why it wouldn't be like well known yet or that we're using them in mass is probably because they still haven't gotten it perfect yet. It's probably still too hard to figure out how to use. But, but, but my question to you is then and maybe you haven't ever thought of it. Do you think like we dug we were digging and we found these spacecrafts oh, in the yeah. ground oh yeah uh i can't remember the documentary but it was something you know take place in like saudi arabia or egypt uh where this guy was um looking for antiquities and stuff like that and going over like you know the black market of of antiquities so people that like go and like rob tombs or the pyramids and stuff like that and at some point they said you know something had been found in a dig so he gets with these guys and you know they they can't show faces or anything like that and they're driving out into the desert at night and all of a sudden there's all these american you know military and black trucks digging something up out of the ground and taking off with it in saudi arabia in or egypt something like that digging something up out of the ground and disappear and you don't hear about it you don't know what it is really <laughs> yeah yeah i think so too i think that something is going on mm-hmm. with the united states definitely it's the united states uh, uh it's it's all of them and even just like you know history in general we think you know the the common thought is like what civilization only goes back a few thousand years but even the Egyptians said, like, the pyramids, they were already there when they showed up, the dynasties that we know of, you know? Uh, all the uh, the Mayan um, uh, temples and stuff like that, most of them say, you know, in their legend is like, oh, we showed up, these things were already thousands of years old by the time we showed up. So, like, what was going on way before our recorded history? It's not even that. Think about the 
the longevity of planet Earth. It's four billion years old, mm -hmm. right? I you know I wouldn't be shocked if a billion years into Earth's you know birth, there was a whole civilization that oh, yeah. then just got wiped out mm -hmm. and then. You know, happen again yeah. a billion years later, wiped out, and then we're just on that path. Mm -hmm. Like here we are. Yeah. You know, who knows? That's how long Earth is. You know, been around for, and how little we've been. Mm -hmm. I think the, I think the, I don't know, Neil, Deg uh, what's his name? DeGrasse Tyson. Uh, yeah, Tyson. He says mm -hmm. something in regards to, if you look at Earth's life in an hour, mm -hmm. right? We are a fraction of a second. Yeah of in that whole time frame mm -hmm. a fraction of a second yeah in the grander scheme in of the things. grander scheme of things i think that's crazy yeah but anyway listen <laughs> uh, life is crazy yeah man. I, I loved having you on come on anytime brother yeah give no us problem. an update whatever it is and i'll, I'll leave you with this i can't remember the astrophysicist that uh said this but uh the universe is endlessly complicated yet deviously simple and uh, that's that's life. Yeah, that is life. That's hey, life. I love you, brother. <laughs> brother, Thank it's you so, so great seeing you. All right, listen, uh, that wraps up today's show. Again, we stream all over on YouTube, Rumble, you name it. Also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean on the audio side. And uh, with that being said, we're out. Peace. Hey, this is Crazy Robin. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show.